I don't know many people who enjoyed taking exams or tests while they were in school, but I suspect even fewer people want to repeat the experience after they've graduated. Yet it seems from scripture that exams and tests never stop at graduation. God can spring a test on his people at any time. If you would like to know the kind of tests God gives and how you can be prepared for yours, stay tuned as Vicki, Nathan, and Kent discover these answers from Abraham's test in Genesis chapter 22. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkiss, and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through the book of Genesis. And if you have a Bible handy, turn to Genesis chapter 22 as we join their discussion. So, Vicki and Nathan, how did you feel about taking tests or exams when you were in school? <laughs> Vicki, you strike me as someone who would have enjoyed them. Well, you, uh, you're wrong. I, re- I remember <laughs> the, most, the most common question was, is this going to be on the test? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you as a professor how much I dislike that question. I bet. That's kind of like as a parent when kids are like, what are we having for dinner? Right. I, I never understood why I drove my mom nuts, but now I do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> whatever you're having for dinner is what's for dinner. Whatever's on the test is on the test. Yeah. I, I remember in school, if it was like an essay or a short answer, I, I didn't mind them as much because I'm a pretty good writer. And so I could just eloquently work my way out of any problem and I'd get a good grade because even though I didn't know anything, I just reword the question enough. <laughs> so that, and this, this worked in seminary too, Kent. Uh, <laughs> 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 but man, if it was, if it was black and white, uh, you know, true, false, uh, multiple choice or multiple guess in my case. Uh, yeah, I was, I was sweating bullets. My oldest boy. Man, he uh, he loves those kind of tests that you hate, Nathan. He loves the kind of tests that uh, are multiple choice, and uh, he figures them out. He may not know anything, but he he re- figures out the test and figures out from the clues in the test what the answers are. It drives me crazy. I can't do it. Uh, <laughs> but I do remember the worst exam I ever took it was when I was in college, and uh, even though I'm a couple of years older than uh, my wife. We were dating at the time and we ended up in the same class. The only time I think we ever took a class together, and I would never do it again, was a (laughs) psychology exam. And um, you got to understand my wife is brilliant. So her family is brilliant and she's brilliant. And you know, there's two ways to be brilliant, either be brilliant or marry someone who's brilliant. I chose the second. So- um, That was your only option, but continue. She got A's all the time. I mean, she just, in everything in high school, when we were in high school together, now we're in college. And I figure if I study like she does, I'm going to get a good grade. So, you know, it's three weeks before the exam. I say to her, are we ready to start studying yet? She goes, for what? But the exam that's coming up. Oh, no, 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 no. Two weeks in advance. Are we ready? Oh, no, no, no. Week in advance. No, no. A couple of days in advance. When are we going to start studying? Ah, we don't need to start yet. Finally, it's the night before the exam. And she goes, I know. Let's just go into an empty classroom, if we walk into this empty classroom, and there's all these blackboards around before the whiteboard generation. And she writes, you know, notes and stuff all over these blackboards. And I'm looking at them and she looks at them and she's walking, staring at them. Okay, I'm done. Let's go get coffee. I'm like, that's it? (laughs) 
But I figure, she's smart. She gets good grades. If I did what she did, then I'll get good grades. Next day comes the exam. I didn't know a thing. That is the worst grade I've ever got on any <laughs> exam ever. And perhaps one of the most humiliating times of my life. But, but I decided then, man, I better prepare differently. I don't know how she studies. I don't know how her brain works. I know my brain is not quite so flexible, I guess. I need a whole <laughs> different way to prepare. Which is why, you know, this passage in Scripture, Genesis 22, kind of caught my attention. Because it begins in chapter 22, verse 1, with God testing Abraham. Um, if God gives tests, how can I be prepared for them? Well, it's good to know what kind of tests that he gives. I know that he doesn't give exams on Scantron, where you fill in the bubbles and feed it into a computer. They're not multiple choice exams. And Nathan, I'm sorry, I don't think you get to uh, blarney your way through by no. uh, <laughs> writing about what you don't understand. Not um, smarter than the seminary professors, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not just a knowledge-based test. I mean, knowledge is important, but you know, it's not like if you can't remember who the last king of the Northern Kingdom was, you don't get into glory. I mean, you have to go back to the end of the line. Those aren't the kind of tests he gives. God is not so much interested in whether we know facts, but whether, whether we've applied the knowledge that we have. You know, in Crosstalk, we always say, learning is doing. You haven't learned to preach if you can't actually preach. But the same thing is with our life. It's not enough to know stuff, but is it true in our life? So, knowing that God looks at what we do, Vicki, would you mind reading verses 1 and 2? Just give us the context of this test. Sure, Genesis 22, 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you." Now, there's a test you don't find in seminary. Nathan, Vicki, if you were in Abraham's sandals, and God said that to you, how do you think you would respond to this test that uh, God springs on him? Well, it'd start with questions, and it would start with not a good attitude. Yeah. Why? Help me understand. Well, I feel the check of my spirit even saying that, but, but it would start with anger. And, and the fact that God even says, your son, your only son, like he wouldn't know that. He waited decades <laughs> for that boy, yeah. whom you love, Isaac, like he wouldn't know which son. There's only one, again, that he waited and waited mm -hmm. and waited and waited and waited for, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. How You know, I was thinking the other day, nothing hurts like a burn, mm -hmm. and that he would torture his son mm. on a mountain. Just, mm. Oh, gee whiz. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I, I would feel anger, and certainly I haven't gone through exactly what Abraham has, but uh, for a short time, my wife and I were, were foster parents, and I think many uh, foster families can understand at least the emotion behind this where you've got a little boy or a little girl that you're fostering and you love and you're supposed to love like they're your own kid and the state mandates that you take them to these visits with their abusers mm -hmm. and uh, more often than not the kids don't want to go and they don't understand and you have to do it 
you have to do it. And the, it's the only way that you actually get to continue to love and care for these kids. Uh, in the, the, I don't know, year and a half that we were licensed and, and went through the whole process and, and uh, we're working with my uh, now daughter. I, I was I was angry with God. Most of the times I found myself in, alone in the car, it was um, it was a lot of angry conversations with him. There was out loud mm-hmm. yelling. Yeah, I, I think this is an incredible stress test that God puts on him. I mean, I agree with you. I would I would push back at God. I think after all, if I were him, I'd say, "Look at what I've already given up for you." I mean, back in chapter twelve, God, you called me to leave my home, my family the most uh, developed, commercially successful, educationally oriented community in the world, to wander in the desert, to go to a land I don't know. I did that. I've been waiting and waiting for um, this sun that you promised me and the land that you promised me. I mean, that put incredible pressure on his marriage, right? I mean, you remember that the whole episode with uh, Hagar? That was devastating. And that came out of this pressure. Why? If I was Abraham, I'd say, because God, you didn't keep your promise in a timely manner. We keep waiting and waiting and you've, my, my faith has put pressure on my marriage. And then you asked for circumcision and I did that too. And now that you finally gave me a kid, do you want me to kill him? No, I'd be, I'd be pointing out all the stuff I've already done. I mean, how much is too much for you to ask for me, God? And then there's the additional sacrifice. I mean, if he does this, what's it going to do to his marriage? Nathan, what would happen to you if you got up in the morning and said, well, honey, I think I'm going to go take one of our kids and kill him today? Yeah, I don't think she'd let me go, first of all. But uh, <laughs> I know. But, uh, but it, yeah, marriage is over. It's over. Yeah. What, what would it do with his reputation among his own servants? Yeah, they'd probably just leave. Yeah, who wants to work for such an unethical person? Right. Because they've seen and they lived through all the challenges that Abraham and Sarah have lived through. And then to kill your own son whom you love? I mean, what's that going to do to your heart, your soul afterwards, even if you carry through with that? But what did Abraham do? Nathan, as we pick up the story, verses 3 to 5, what well, was Abraham's response? We know what ours would be. What about his? Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Well, Sarah didn't stop him. I think that's because he probably didn't tell her. There's a a live silence. He must have given some reason, but it surely couldn't have been the right one. He also lied to his servants too, right? Well, maybe. I was thinking about that when he said, we will worship. I mean, that's like an ultimate worship. And then we will come back to you? Who's not coming back? Do you think he thought God would stop it? No. Maybe not. He didn't know it. He didn't know it. No. No, he didn't know the end of the story. Mm -mm. But cheer up. It got worse. Vicki, what happened in verses 6 through 8? Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Wow. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. He being Isaac, is that what it's referring to? Yeah. And the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood. Oh, can you imagine this conversation? The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 
And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. So, uh -huh. I mean, if you just look at the tenderness of that conversation, father, yes, my son, knowing that that will be the last time that your son will ever speak to you that way because of what you're going to do to him. And although he told them, oh, God will provide. Yeah. Again, look what happened instead in verses 9 and 10. Nathan, it's hard to read, but what does the text tell us? When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Oh, can you imagine the emotions that he is feeling at that moment? He didn't raise his knife waiting for God to do something. He raised his knife to kill his son. That's what he was willing to do. I, I can't imagine that. Uh, we know a little bit about watching our kids when they're sick. Fever is raging or a disease is harming them. And we stand by as parents, helpless. We want to do anything. But, but this is infinitely worse because he's not passive. He's going to be the agent of their hurt. I mean, when do you say to God, you're asking too much? When do you say to God, this is unfair? When do you say to God, I've I got to put my family first here. If you take away my future, what am I going to have left? I think I'd be saying all those things. And, and you know, I, I don't think it's hard to imagine how we might just start also attacking God's character, right? Yeah. I mean, what kind of a God would do this? God, for you to ask this, you must be evil. You're a liar. You promised me a son that would that would become the father of many nations, and now you're having me kill him. I think it's easy to feel morally superior to God. But God asks too much. You know what? I, I look at what God did, but I wonder why God did it. Now, you and I know the end of the story, and we see the resolution in this in verses 11 and 12. Vicki, uh, help us follow the story forward. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Okay, did you notice in that last verse you read, Vicki, the purpose behind all this? What was the purpose? Now I know what? That you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son. So is, is the angel of the Lord Jesus? Yes. Every time you see the angel of the Lord, um, my understanding is that's a pre-incarnate visitation, or in this case, a, a voice of, uh, of God himself. Huh. And notice he says, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So the angel of the Lord right. is saying, I'm God. Right. Um, so that's a second member of the Trinity. But the reason for this test was to know whether Abraham feared God. That's an interesting word. One that, uh, I don't know about you, but I've rarely heard uh, spoken about in church. There was the fear of God. And sometimes when it is, it's used, uh, well, we like to water it down. 
Oh, it's not so much be afraid of God, but have a healthy respect for God. So I did a quick study and looked up the Hebrew word here for fear and realized that uh, it means uh, fear. It means to actually be afraid, to be uh, terrified because of who he is. We see that in life. There are certain people we fear more than others. When I'm driving down the freeway here in the greater Los Angeles area, you know, the speed limit says 65, but there isn't a person that goes 65. There is not a person. So if I set it at 75, I'm fine. If I push it to 80, which still has me, you know, not exactly speeding around other cars, my wife gives me the look. And uh, Nola tells me, you better slow down. And sometimes I do, and sometimes, you know, I don't really want to adjust. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing. When I'm driving on the freeway and then I see one of those uh, cop cars on the side of the road, you know, the people uh, waiting to see who's coming a little too fast, guess what I do then? I'm betting you slow down. Because <laughs> I fear the policeman more than I fear my wife. I remember one time being um, in uh, court. Uh, I wasn't on trial, but I was being asked if I'd be part of a jury. So I had to go for selection. And, and I come in, I'm sitting in the courtroom, never been in one before. The judge comes in, wearing robes, sitting high and lifted up, kind of like God in Isaiah chapter 6. And boy, it was serious at that moment. I mean, I kind of like to sit back and cut up and jokes and that kind of stuff. No way, I'm not doing that there. No way, because I fear the judge because of the judge's position. Yeah. I respect their authority. And I change my behavior accordingly. That's the image that we have of God. Do we fear him? In his presence, will we do whatever he asks because of his unquestionable authority? He is the Lord of all. Is he the person that we will respect more than anyone else in the world? That's a test of fear. So in everyday life, what do, what do Christians tend to fear as they go through life? What are some of our fears? Oh, I was thinking about being a child and fearing my dad. Yep. <laughs> okay. I know people that uh, fear retirement. So retirement is an issue for them. So because of that, they change their behavior because they want to be able to uh, thrive uh, in their golden years. Yeah. So everything changes because of that reality. There's a sense in which then they... They have a fear of retirement that changes their actions because of its its power over them. Yeah, we're we're afraid of uh, of losing our job or finances because that'll mean we can't pay our bills. Uh, I think we're afraid of, especially as Americans, of being quote unquote alone uh, in a romantic sense. That uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. In my time in ministry, talking with individuals, uh, sometimes it's like the absolute worst thing that could happen to a person would that they would be single for a period of time. Mm. Uh, not everyone, but there, there's a large number of people, and and just not even within the church, outside of the church. Like, well, well, why do you have to be with somebody? Like, and you ask that, like, you know, well, what do you need legs for? It, it sounds like I'm asking. <laughs> uh, the idea of singleness is is. Uh, is just horrifying. Well, I don't want to be all alone. Well, you don't have to be all alone. There's friendship, there's church, there's community, there's family. 
but uh, but yeah, people are afraid to be alone, terrified of it. Uh, so much so, I've seen people get into terrible, horribly abusive situations because they simply don't want to be alone romantically. I think people sometimes fear lack of respect. I want people to respect me, and that can drive them to uh, drive a different car, to live in a different home, to wear different clothes, to try and keep up a facade or an image. Or to not call evil evil or when something's wrong, wrong, right? I don't want to rock the boat because then I lose respect. So the question is, what do we fear the most? Those are legitimate fears that we have. But what do we fear the most? In Abraham's situation, God, in his stress test, learned that there was nothing that Abraham feared more than not obeying his God that everything else was minimized. No, I don't put my child before God. No, I don't put my reputation before God. No, I don't put my financial security before him. No, I don't put my marriage. I don't put anything before God. I will follow God because I fear him more than anything. Now that's a test. So is his situation an anomaly? Is this a one and done? remains in the history books, or does God give stress tests today? If he does, what do they look like? Yeah, I don't think it's an anomaly. I think it happens more often than we'd prefer it to happen. Mm-hmm. Vicki, you said you were going to tell us the story of your life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, golly, gee, that was sort of the Super Bowl of stress tests, I think. I feel like I'm going through that, but I wish I'd told mine first, because, I mean, that's a pretty big stress. That's a pretty big stress test right there. Yeah, I'm going through some stress right now. I have, in essence, lost my job. My mother, who I love dearly, is dying. That's your number one stress yeah. test when somebody that you love is, is, is dying. I can't go see her because of COVID restrictions. And I am in the process of selling my house. Mm. The, the mm. next number highest stressor. Right. And um, so I've got the three highest stressors you can have, and it's, they're all going on together. And um, and believe me, I've had some conversations with God about that, you know, and, mm -hmm. and mostly, mostly the timing of it all. Yeah, and hear me well. We've been talking about if we were Abraham, these are conversations we might have with God. And Vicki mentioned in the midst of the stress, you've had conversations with God. I think that's normal, and I think that's healthy. I see the psalmist constantly bearing his soul to the Lord in midst of difficult times. God is not asking us not to struggle. He's not saying it's not difficult. He is saying at the end of it all, will you fear me? We fear, sometimes we want to rearrange our priorities. So God is not the most important. But if we say yes to him, if we say yes, I will be salt and light for you in my profession, and regardless of the cost. Yes, I will honor you with my finances, even if it affects my lifestyle. Yes, I will go and do everything you ask me to do. Yes, I will make you Lord of my life. I choose to fear you more than anything else that could ever happen to me in life. Look at what the angel of the Lord told Abraham what happened in verses 15 to 18. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham, from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, 
I will surely bless you. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I would love for God to say that to me. Well, I think he will. What will happen when we decide to fear God, regardless of the personal price, as Abraham did in different ways, but follow the same footsteps that he took as when he was facing his stress test? I think God says, now I will use you to advance my kingdom in ways that will exceed your wildest imagination because you have the character I need. You're the person that I want to use to accomplish my work in the world. I mean, haven't we seen that in history? I think of a man like Hudson Taylor, a man who walked away from a lucrative potential medical career in England to take a boat and end up in China. 51 years he was there. He learned their languages, adopted their culture, said goodbye to friends and family, suffered unimaginable number of personal and ministry tragedies. But in the end, he sowed a harvest for Christ in that area that is unbelievable. The church in China today is founded on the work of Hudson Taylor. And he wrote in a letter that, uh, to friends back in England, if I had a thousand pounds, China should have it. If I had a thousand lives, China should have them. No, not China, but Christ. Can we do too much for him? Can we do enough for such a precious savior? That just reminds me of the Apostle Paul when he said, I pour out my life as a drink offering because of what Christ has done for me. Here's a man who feared God. He said, there's nothing you can ask that I will not do. Because I know that when I am in your perfect will, it will never harm me. Your love will hold me and it will lead me places that I could never have dreamed of going otherwise. He did that with Abraham when he passed his stress test. He will do it for you. As Jesus said in Matthew 16, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, they will find it. What about you? What stress tests has God put you through? What kind of stress tests is God putting you through? Whatever those tests are, remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I trust that today's discussion of God's Word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's Word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more or to support the work of this ministry, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. You can also support this show by sharing it on social media and telling your friends. Tune in next Friday as we continue our discussion through the book of Genesis. Be sure to join us.